Well, if you could uh, turn back in your Bibles with me to uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17, page 1122 in the Church Bible, 1122. So Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. And I've entitled this message, How to Live in a Body and World of Death. How to Live in a Body and World of Death. But uh, let's put Romans chapter 8 into a little bit of context, because look how Romans chapter 8 begins. There is therefore, and wherever there's a therefore in the Bible, we need to know why the therefore is therefore, don't we? So let's put Romans 8 into a bit of context with a very quick overview of the book of Romans. You could say that Romans chapters 1 to 5 tell us how Christians are saved from the penalty of sin. So we're saved from the punishment of sin that we all deserve. And Romans chapters 1 to 5 tell us how we're saved from the penalty of sin, isn't it? Through Jesus, his righteous life, which he lived on our behalf, his sacrificial death for our sins on the cross, and his powerful resurrection from the dead. And then you could say that Romans 6 tell us how Christians are saved from the power of sin. So not only are we saved from the penalty of sin, we're saved from the power of sin. So through Jesus' death, and resurrection, a Christian can wake up in the morning and say, I don't have to sin today. Am I right to say that? I know we do sin every day, but every Christian here this evening, we can wake up tomorrow morning and say, I don't actually have to sin, according to Romans chapter 6, isn't it? Because we've been saved from the power of sin. We can say, I don't have to sin today. I have died to sin. Sin is no longer my master. Isn't that wonderful for the Christian? So every Christian can say, well, yeah, there are sins that I used to commit all the time that I don't commit anymore. Why is that? Through Jesus is death and resurrection. Sin hasn't got power on, over us anymore. And then in chapter 7, verses 1 to 13, we are told that the Christian has been saved from the power of the law. So, for example, uh, the Jewish uh, born-again Christian at the church in Rome could say, well, I'm set free from the power that the law had over me because I used to think that God would only love me and accept me if I obeyed the law. And I think a lot of people who have grown up in religious homes, some people who have grown up in Christian homes have sometimes sort of thought, oh, God won't accept me unless I obey the Ten Commandments. I used to think that uh, before I was converted in 1994. I thought, oh, God won't accept me or love me unless I obey the Ten Commandments. And then I heard the gospel, and I was sort of set free from that power that the law had over me. And then, 
In Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30, we are told that Christians have been, will be saved from the presence of sin forever and ever. So we're saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, the power of the law, and one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin forever and ever, won't we? The moment Jesus calls the Christian home to heaven, or the moment that Jesus returns, the Christian will never, ever sin again. Isn't that wonderful? I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? And we'll never experience sin again. We won't see the effects of sin again, or experience the effects of sin again. So Christians are saved from the penalty of sin, we're saved from the power of sin, we're saved from the power of the law, and we will be saved from the presence of sin forever and ever. But uh, the end of Romans chapter 7 ends with, who will deliver me from this body of death? Can you see that in the second half of verse 24? Romans chapter 7, the second half of verse 24. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So we are saved, and we're being saved. We're being sanctified. We're becoming more like Jesus. And we will be saved completely forever and ever one day. But we're in this sort of in-between stage, aren't we? <laughs> we're in this bit of limbo, isn't it? We are still living in a body of death, aren't we? And we're still living in a world of death. We are still waiting for our resurrection bodies, aren't we? We're still waiting for the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. And I believe that Romans chapter 8 um, teaches us how to live in a body and world of death. Do you think so? Maybe Romans chapter 8, especially verses 1 to 17, teaches us then how do we live in this body of death and this world of death. Because we still, even Christians, still experience heartache, pain, suffering, disease, decay, and death. And we see it around us, don't we? We see disasters. We see death, disease, and decay. So how do we live in this body of death and this world of death? Well, firstly, by knowing that we're not condemned. Look at verse 1 again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? If someone is in Christ Jesus, if someone is sort of united or connected to Jesus, they are not condemned. Now, some Christians condemn themselves a lot, don't they? Do you find that? And probably some Christians condemn themselves too much. Now, um, I don't know uh, how many of you are aware of the uh, controversy in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. There's a bit of a debate, isn't there? Uh, there's been a controversy over the centuries of who is speaking. 
in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. So the sort of three views are, uh, or is it a non-Christian speaking in Romans 7, 14 to 25? Is it maybe a non-Christian Pharisee? Maybe the Apostle Paul speaking the way he would have spoken when he was a non-Christian Pharisee? Or is it a, just a normal Christian speaking in Romans 7, verses 14 to 25? Yes, just a normal Christian speaking. Or maybe the third view then, is it a carnal Christian? Maybe an immature Christian speaking in Romans 7, 14 to 25? Well, a lot of people say, well, Romans 7, verses 14 to 25, is a normal Christian speaking. It must be a normal Christian speaking in Romans 7, verses 14 to 25, because that is how I speak, isn't it? But then, the question is, but should we speak like that? Should we speak like that? Should we constantly say to ourselves, I'm a wretched, evil sinner. Something to think about, isn't it? Should we constantly say to ourselves, oh, I'm a wretched, evil sinner? I think with a lot of people, that's almost like their first thought when they wake up. Oh, I'm a wretched, evil sinner. And maybe their last thought before they go to bed, I'm a wretched, evil sinner. So I've been sort of challenged by that a bit, does the New Testament describe the church as wretched, evil sinners? Well, let's, let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 7, for example. If we flick back, Romans chapter 1, verse 7. So how does the Holy Spirit address the church at Rome or the church today? To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Isn't that interesting? And how does the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, address the church at Corinth? Now, that was a church that could have been described as wretched, evil sinners, you'd have thought. But it's fascinating, isn't it, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 2, a church that had a lot of immorality, a division and sin in it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2 says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both they are Lord and ours. Isn't that interesting? And um, I don't know how many of you have heard of um, uh, the preacher uh, Paul Blackham. I know um, Rachel has heard of him. Uh, we were speaking this morning. Well, he posted something interesting on, um, on Facebook a few weeks ago. Uh, let me share with you what um, Paul Blackham posted. If you're a Christian today, you can focus on how messed up you are. And I have to admit, I often do that. Oh, I'm such a wretched, evil sinner. I'm so messed up. Yeah, you can focus on how messed up you are. Or you can focus on how perfect you are 
in Jesus. Spurgeon explains why our basic mental health is so much better when we keep in mind how we are all good in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He then goes on to quote uh, Charles Harden Spurgeon uh, from his uh, morning and evening devotional for the 31st of January. Uh, the Lord, our righteousness. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6. Let me read a bit of that. I won't read it all because it's quite long. But yeah, here's, everyone loves Spurgeon, don't they? It's worth coming tonight just to hear a Spurgeon quote, isn't it? So this is Spurgeon, morning and evening, 31st of January, the Lord our righteousness, Jeremiah 23, verse 6. This is Spurgeon. It will always give a Christian the greatest calm, quiet, ease, and peace to think of the perfect righteousness of Christ. How often are the saints of God downcast and sad? I do not think they ought to be. I do not think they would if they could always see their perfection in Christ. There are some who are always talking about corruption and the depravity of the heart and the innate evil of the soul. This is quite true, but why not go a little further and remember that we are perfect in Christ Jesus? It is no wonder that those who are dwelling upon their own corruption should wear such downcast looks. But surely, if we call to mind that Christ is made unto us righteousness, we shall be of good cheer. Isn't that so helpful? So how do Christians live in a body and world of death? Well, firstly, by knowing that they're not condemned. So, yeah, let's remember that we are wretched, evil sinners, but let's go a little further. But, thanks be to God, I am perfect in Christ. I am good in Christ, isn't it? If my faith is in him alone. But why are those who are in Christ not condemned? Why are we not condemned? Well, because Christ has conquered our condemnation. Yet we deserve condemnation, don't we? But Christ has conquered our condemnation. But how has Christ conquered our condemnation? Well, firstly, by coming into the world as a sin offering, isn't it? That's what we read in verse three. What do we read there? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Isn't that a wonderful promise? So Jesus stepped into our shoes. He became a member of the human race and took the blame for our sin. On the cross, Jesus was condemned instead of me and you. Isn't that amazing? And secondly, those who are in Christ are not condemned because Christ has given us his spirit, isn't he? 
Look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For the law of the spirit of life. And then look at verse 4 then of Romans chapter 8. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus' dead body obviously didn't stay on the cross. Jesus' body was buried. So you could say Jesus took our sin down into the grave with him. We were buried with Christ. But Jesus' dead body didn't stay in the grave, did it? On Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. And where is Jesus' resurrected body now? Jesus' resurrected body right now is in the highest heaven, in the throne room, sat at God the Father's right-hand side. So Jesus, right now this evening, is ruling and reigning from heaven more than a conqueror over sin, death, and hell, isn't he? And from his throne in heaven, Jesus gives us his spirit, isn't it? So the spirit is Jesus' presence given to believers. It's just mind-blowing, isn't it? And that's how the righteous requirements of the law are met in us, isn't it? Not through my efforts, but through the gift of the spirit of Jesus. How are we perfect? Because Jesus, who lived the sinless human life, is living in us by his spirit. And the key words in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17, is spirit, isn't it? That is the key word in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Here's um, an interesting fact for you. Uh, the word spirit is repeated 17 times in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. And the word spirit is repeated more times in Romans chapter 8 than any other chapter in the Bible. Isn't that fascinating? And it's the word spirit that's missing in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 25, isn't it? The word that dominates Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, is the personal pronoun I, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that? When you read in Romans 7, 14 to 25, the word I, I, I dominates, and the word flesh, isn't it? So spirit is opposite to I and flesh, isn't it? So... The second answer to the question to how do Christians live in a body and world of death is they live according to the spirit. So I don't know, maybe very often you might be thinking, oh, how do I cope in this body of death and this world of death? Live according to the spirit. That's what we read in verses 5 to 11, isn't it? Verses 5 to 11. Live 
according to the Spirit. So, the Christian life should be plain sailing, shouldn't it? Should it? (laughs) If every Christian has the Spirit of Christ living in them, then every Christian will just automatically live according to the Spirit, won't they? Well, not necessarily so. Even though we are more than conquerors through Jesus, I don't know if anyone knows what that actually means. <laughs> what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Does that, is there such a thing? Well, the Bible says so, isn't it? I think it's oh, even more than a conqueror. So even though we are more than conquerors through Jesus, we are still in a battle. We are conquerors, but we're still in a battle, aren't we? We're in a battle with this body of death we're living in and in this world of death we're living in. So what must we do in this battle? Well, that's our third answer to how do Christians live in this body and world of death. Thirdly, we must put to death the deeds of the body. Look at uh, verses 12 and 13. What do we read there? So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So that's what we must do. Put to death the deeds of the body. But what on earth does that mean? What does it actually mean to put to death the deeds of the body. Well, the the 17th century um, preacher, John Owen, famously said, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. That's, That's quite a scary thought, isn't it? Have you killed sin today? If not, it could kill you, isn't it? Um, Sadly, I know uh, of a minister who fell into sin and ruined his own life, ruined his family's life. And uh, another friend of mine contacted him just to try and find out what went wrong, what happened? How did you get yourself into this mess? And his explanation was, I stopped putting sin to death. If we stop killing sin, it'll ruin our lives and it'll ruin other people's lives, our loved ones' lives. This is a serious battle we're in. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. But how do we put sin to death? Well, it's not by making resolutions. Do you ever make resolutions on New Year's Day? Oh, I'm going to stop these certain bad habits. I'm going to stop doing this, that, or the other. I'm going to stop going to this place. I'm going to stop watching that and making resolutions. That doesn't work, does it? 
It's not by making resolutions. It's not by trying harder. I need to try harder. And it's not by punishing ourselves. Some people sort of punish themselves if they sin. No, what does Romans chapter 8 say? How do we kill sin? It's by the Spirit, isn't it? But then the question is, how do we do that? (laughs) How do Christians put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? Well, it's by letting the Holy Spirit do his work in us, isn't it? Christians put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit by letting the Holy Spirit do his work in us. But what is the Spirit's work? And you're thinking, what? You're going to cover that tonight? (laughs) We've got to go to bed. (laughs) But yeah, I know there's a lot that can be said about the work of the Spirit. But let's just focus on Romans 8, verses 14 to 17 for tonight. Um, What is the work of the Spirit? Well, the work of the Holy Spirit is to affirm that Christians are children of God. Isn't it? Look at verses 14 to 16. Romans 8, verses 14 to 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba. Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Isn't that wonderful? So one of the works of the Holy Spirit in Christians is to affirm that we are children of God. But then the question might be, well, how how does that help? How does the Spirit affirming that we are children of God, put to death the deeds of the body. Well, first and foremost, in the word of God, isn't it? In the word of God, the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit affirms that we are children of God in the word of God. What is the word of God called? It's called the sword of the spirit, isn't it? This is a Holy Spirit-inspired word, isn't it? One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to remind Christians of who they are in Jesus. I don't know if any of you have seen uh, The Lion King. Have you seen that scene where, um, is it Mufasa says to Simba, remember who you are, isn't it? Well, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit sort of tells us, remember who you are, isn't it? To the Christian, remember you're a child of God. And because we are children of God, we are also something else, aren't we? Look at verse 17. Because we're children of God, we're also something else. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Isn't that remarkable? If we are children of God, we are heirs of God. 
which is just mind-blowing, isn't it? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Absolutely mind-blowing, isn't it? So Christians are children of God, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Christians have so many privileges, don't we? But then again, let's go back to that question. But how does the Holy Spirit affirming that we are children of God, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ help us to put to death the deeds of the body? How? Well, why do we sin? Why do we sin? Well, I believe that we sin because we're looking for something. We're looking for some kind of joy, pleasure, satisfaction, or release, isn't it? We're looking for something when we sin. But a Christian trying to find joy, pleasure, or satisfaction in sin is like a millionaire going to McDonald's for a meal, isn't it? A millionaire can go to the best restaurants in the world for a meal. Why would a millionaire go to McDonald's for a meal? Well, actually, McDonald's is quite a good illustration for sin, I find. (laughs) McDonald's always seems like a good idea at the time, but it always leaves you feeling sick or empty, doesn't it? (laughs) Sin... It seems like a good idea at the time, but it always leaves you feeling sick or empty inside, doesn't it? Um, Let me close with this uh, famous C.S. Lewis quote from um, one of his books, uh, one of the books that have been put together, The Weight of Glory. Anyone read that? C.S. Lewis, The Weight of Glory. This is what he wrote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Well, my prayer is that we would find joy and peace and pleasure, not in sin, but in being reminded by the Holy Spirit that we are children of God, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ when we're reminded of that, isn't it? On the one hand, I'm a child of God, an heir of God, and a fellow heir with Christ, or I can have sin. It's like, oh yeah, of course, that is who I am. That is what I have. Forget it, sin, isn't it? That is how we put sin to death.